Welcome to the 16th episode of the Comic Show! I'm Monkeys Mighty Robots! This week we are talking horror comics to read for Halloween. Because it's spooky time! And we also need to talk about this amazing book, Royal City, because there's a new issue out. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co-host, editor of the comic book section on Monkeys Fighting Robots, Anthony Compasto. What's up, Internet? Uh, if you like the show, subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher. Comment, tweet at us. Let us know uh, that you like the show and uh, what we should be reading. And also, guys, please take uh, just a few seconds. Give us a quick rate review on iTunes. It's really helpful for us to be found by new listeners. You know, I, uh, I check the stats every week. I see how many people are listening. And if all of you guys just take five seconds and go give us a five-star review, we could jump up the charts. It'd be really helpful. Thank you. And the comic show is now sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. Every day at Uncanny Heroes, trades and graphic novels are 25% off. There's no need to go to Amazon when you have Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. 25% off trades, guys. Doesn't get cheaper than that. I mean, it does, but like, that's really cheap. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. Check them out on the web at uncannyheroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store, people. And as you can tell, I'm super hyped up on caffeine. And that's because we partnered up with Nerd Roast Coffee Company. Nerd Roast has a unique origin. Nerd Roast Coffee Company is what happens when developers, designers, and other nerds come together to create the perfect coffee. They wanted to make delicious coffee that will give you the kick you need to get you through your day. And each bag of coffee features unique comic book artwork. You get to make coffee and read comic books at the same time. Amazing. Check them out on the web at nerdroast.com and use promo code monkeys 15 for 15% off your order. Once again, that's nerdroast.com. I ordered my first bag of Nerd Roast. Uh, I'm very excited for it. So hopefully next episode, I uh, I can have like a nice cup of cup of joe while we're recording. What did you order? Oh, I got the Colombian, a medium roast Colombian. You dis- are a coffee nerd. I am a coffee nerd. The description on it just like really, it, it turned on my taste buds. Got me going. And uh, I have a quick... Quick correction before we get into this. This is a correction on something that we talked about last week. Um, I'm not that pasty. <laughs> what, 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 what are you talking about? We, we had a little bit of a conversation last week because I was wearing a muscle tank uh, that uh, I was very pasty and white and nerdish. And I was looking at myself in the mirror later and, and I was thinking about him. I'm actually quite tan. I don't know if it's coming up over Skype, but like my face, my arms. I'm quite tan. But my shoulder area, admittedly, a little paler in comparison, just obviously because you wear a shirt all the time. The shoulders don't get as much sun. I'm not a beach bum. But just wanted everyone out there in internet land to know that I'm not uh, I'm not very pasty. If you saw me on the street, I'm actually, like I said, quite quite tan. Plus, I'm Italian, so I have kind of the the uh, the olive skin tone going for me anyway. I Just so everybody knows, Anthony's translucent. That's how white he is. Like he's the whitest white guy. I'm translucent. I'm a ghost. I know. Talk about Halloween books. Ooh. And this is kind of like your day because you wanted to kind of, you put this segment together. So I'm just going to let you talk for a little bit. 
I did. I love horror. Just a little background on me. Like my mother raised me on horror, maybe admittedly too young. Like I love her. She was a great mother, but like maybe admittedly too young introduced me to horror. Like we used to watch horror movies when I came home from school because there was like a couple of hours between the time I came home from school and my brother came home for school. I don't know why he came home a few hours later, but we'd fill that time with a horror movie most times. So like I'm in elementary school or middle school and, you know, we're watching Nightmare on Elm Street movies and slasher films and Stephen King movies. So I got really geared up. So I, that obviously had to uh, translate into comic books. And so horror books are some of my favorite comics. So it's Halloween. We got to talk about it. There's so and guys, there's so many horror comics out there. I mean, horror comics are as old as the medium itself. Like you go back to the days of like EC comics and you have like, you know, eerie and creepy and tales from the crypt and, you know, vampire books and and all these monster books. Like horror comics are so old. Uh, and there's so many of them out there from independent creators. Marvel has had their share of horror books. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some of our favorite, but there's a ton of them. If, if, if you're looking for additional recommendations, tweet at me. And I'm more than happy to talk about them with you. And I'm not an expert on the horror genre because I get fucking scared. Like, for some reason, uh, my childhood, I don't know who the babysitter was, but I think I was like five or six. When, like, I watched Poltergeist, and, like, you do not have a five, six-year-old watch Poltergeist and expect their world to be normal after that. And plus, I have a vivid imagination, so I was scared shitless of my grandfather's basement. He had, not only did he have, like, a scary boiler in it, he also had, like, a dark room where he developed photos, but it was just, like, black solid black shower curtains everywhere. Like it looked like that's where you chop somebody up. And there was always giant spider webs everywhere. That basement was the creepiest shit ever. And I mean, that sounds like an exceptionally scary basement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basements are scary as a premise. I feel like everyone who grows up with a basement is kind of scared of their basement. I know I was as well. And that's why it's, in it, I mean, in Stephen King's It, that's a prominent scene of Georgie being scared to go into the basement and seeing things in the shadow. That's most children. But yeah, that your basement sounds extra scary. <laughs> so I've always tried to stay to the lighter side of books, but there are a few books that I remember that were kind of got me amped up and, and definitely put me in some like edgy places. And I'm kind of excited to kind of talk in your world of horror now so enlighten me sir yeah and hopefully hopefully i can get you out there to pick up some of these no guys, no because it's gonna scare the shit out of me no they're so good they're oh i am gonna i'm gonna inspire you hopefully by the first book that we talk about because that's the one that i want to talk about the most uh guys just so everyone knows like i have like a master list in front of me i just started writing down every horror book that i can think of obviously not going to get to all of them in this show hopefully we do this show for a long time and we can do this every halloween so I'm going to kind of try to get through as many of these. But the one that I really want to talk about is Lock and Key. It's a series that IDW put out. I, uh, full disclosure, like I had re I started reading it a long time ago. I've actually read the first three volumes of the trade multiple times. Uh, I just never powered through to the end. But I did like for this, you know, for this show, for Halloween this year, like I literally just finished reading Lock and Key today. It's a six volume run. It's from uh, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. And Joe Hill is uh, Stephen King's son. Just for anyone out there that doesn't know, he's also a novelist. He writes really good novels. Uh, but he, he wrote this comic series, Lock and Key, and it's amazing. 
it is so good. Like it's the kind of series that I was getting emotional at the end. Like I literally was kind of tearing up a little bit and I'm not too macho to admit that just for, for everything that was going on. And I'm going to gush about this a little bit. So if you'll just indulge me, Matt, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to gush because I was reading it today and I just was so overwhelmed with all these thoughts. I, uh, so I write, I write movie reviews for the site as well. In addition to comics and I love reviewing horror movies and one thing that I say time and time again when I review a horror movie is that a horror movie should scare you, but a great horror movie should scare you and tell like an engaging story with really interesting characters and really get you engrossed and stuff like this more to a great horror movie than just scaring you. Like, I think that's 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 the line between like a, a forgettable horror movie and a memorable horror movie. And Lock and Key is so good because it's terrifying. It, it, it does really have some moments that, you know, shock you and disturb you. Like I was walking around in the dark earlier and I started seeing things from the comic in the shadows because shadows play a role in this comic. Um, but it's also just like really kind of deep. It's got great characters, focuses on this family, the Locke family, where they're, they're living out west and something happens and they have to go back to Lovecraft, Massachusetts and live in their father's childhood home, which is called Key House. It's a house with a name. And they start to discover all of these keys around the house. And the keys all kind of do magical things. There's keys that turn you into a ghost. There's keys that change your gender. There's keys that change the color of your skin. You know, there's an unlimited number of keys. I can't even get into all of them, and I don't want to, because part of the joy is finding these keys with the characters. Uh, But you kind of, they kind of accidentally unlock this evil entity, I'll call it. Uh, It's, you know decades old or whatever and then they kind of gotta they gotta fight it they got and it's it's captivating the characters are great they get you really invested in them you care about their well-being you want you root for them you don't want anything to happen to them like they're not just kind of disposable horror characters that you don't care whether they live or die even the secondary characters which maybe aren't they don't get as much quote-unquote screen time and they're not as fleshed out like you you feel for them and when things go up and down for them you feel about it and it's really good writing and really good storytelling because what Joe Hill does, and I'm going to talk about the storytelling and the writing, and then I do want to talk about Gabriel Rodriguez's art separately, but the writing and the storytelling is so good because Hill does these things where you don't even realize what he's telling you until later. Like He just like slips in like one-liners and nuggets here and there, which what makes the series such a good reread. Because once you see the whole picture and you go back and you're like, oh, my God, he was planting these seeds from issue one. And I don't know if that's true or not, because I read an interview where he said he doesn't outline. So maybe he's just really good at, you know, connecting these dots later on. But it, it seems like meticulously outlined because there are these seeds in the in like a one liner or there's like a background item somewhere that just come into play later and it blows your mind. And there's a lot of mystery involved. You 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 don't know where the keys come from or why they're there. You don't understand, you know, what is the demonic entity? Why is that there? What's its motivation? And there's no, like, diarrhea of exposition at any point. Like, he just, again, he lays these seeds, and you have to be a careful reader and an eagle-eyed reader, and you put these one-liners and stuff together, and you kind of figure it out on your own. So by the time, like, the final confrontation begins you've already kind of pieced it together just because he's laid these seeds and had you put it together for yourself. And it's just, it's, it's some of the best writing in a horror comic 
or, or just a comic in general. No wonder, like, he won an Eisner Award for Best Writer on this series, and the series was nominated twice for Best Series. And there's just no wonder, because the storytelling uh, just kind of blows me away. And it's got really strong themes, you know, and, and he's Stephen King's son, and I don't want to compare him too much to Stephen King, because I want his work to stand on its own. But I definitely see, like, his dad's influence here, because there are themes in Lock and Key that are familiar to like Stephen King books. Like I love it. And something I love about it is the way that it talks about childhood versus adulthood and maturing from one to the other and what you lose and what you gain. And those same themes are present in lock and key. And it's really powerful. Like I said, it was like kind of overwhelming me at the end. Uh, there's, you know, themes about life and death and love and friendship. And there's just, there's more to it than just scary shit. But oh, the scary shit is so good too. Oh, it's so good. No, this book was a bestseller when I had the comic book store, the comic vault. Like we, all the people that worked at the store read it and they all enjoyed it and they really, like, really pushed it hard as like, this is something different in the comic book world. And uh, yeah, you, if you haven't read it, definitely check it out. It was so good. And Gabriel Rodriguez's art is just, it's so unassuming because it's, it's cartoony to an extent. Like so many horror books, like we'll talk about later, have like these gritty, edgy, artists on it like jock or whatever where it, it it's what we, we've referred to as sketchy and it you know it feels really dark but gabriel rodriguez's art it's it's unassuming it's 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 cartoony he's got kind of like you know thick borders around the characters that's kind of like a callback to like you know older cartoons and comics and again that really helps you get invested in the characters and the story and at some points when there's not scary stuff going on, you kind of like almost forget that it's a horror comic because it's just like, oh, this is like a fun book about a family and they're learning to get, you know, through tragedy and blah, blah, blah. And then when the gore hits and the gruesomeness hits, it is like powerful stuff, man. Like Again, I don't want to spoil anything, but this this is the book that I want to talk about more than anything else today. And if you haven't read Lock and Key, it's a quick read. I just I've reread the whole series in a matter of, you know, just a couple of days now. So. Go to Uncanny Heroes in Tampa, get the whole run for 25% off the trades, and just read it before Halloween. You have the time, and it is so worth it. I remember when that came out, There were, Warren Ellis was doing Crossed at the same time, and that book is just beyond insane horror of, like, where you have, like, Stephen King's son on one hand, and then you have, I'm trying to think of who Warren Ellis is on, uh, on the cross side, uh, but this is just straight gore porn, and it and it's uh, people get they get turned they get the cross disease, but they're like I don't know they're they're kind of like zombies, but they're also like rational and crazy, and it's just it's just pure rage and and just a lot of body parts and very perverse scenes on the screen, and I just remember flipping through some books and. I read like one or two issues and I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta walk away from this. I gotta walk away from it. I, I love, I love the gore. I oh. do. As long as it's done right. Like I said, as long as it's like done in a way that, that works with the story and, um, and is effective. And it's just not, you know, like you said, gore porn or something like that. Although sometimes that works, but Lock and Key, like I said, it's not gore porn. When, when there is a gruesome scene, it is earned. It is so earned. It's funny you mentioned Warren Ellis because, some of the trades for Lock and Key have introductions from other writers in the front, and Ellis uh, did write one, and it's amazing. If I'm trying to, because I read them all, like I said, sequentially, so everything's kind of jumbled together. But I think his was hysterical because 
I think he just talks about how the series is so good and he wishes that he could just like kill Joe Hill and take his ideas and claim them as his own. But then he'd be sad because Joe Hill would be dead and there would be no more lock and key. And it's like a whole page introduction. But you read it and you realize that it's just one long run on sentence. Warren Ellis strung together like he's rambling. Uh, and then there's another one like by Brian K. Vaughn and just a ton of good writers writing introductions to these books. So. I'm trying to. Fi- oh, it's and I apologize. It wasn't crossed. Wasn't Warren Ellis. It was Garth Ennis. So I apologize for that. But that's who the writer oh. was. But Warren Ellis, he is a creepy writer too. Uh, he he is. Some of his novels are insane. I know I was at a a Wizard World Chicago, like one of the last ones before C two E two launched, and Warren Ellis had a panel, like an evening panel, where there was like a, a bar. Where you could drink at, and he shows up to the panel with a case of Red Bull, a handle of Jack Daniels, and a case of cigarettes, and it's just him on that panel. And I <laughs> lasted like two hours into the panel because it was just bad shit crazy, um, and I just had to leave. And I think it went like two more hours, like the panel just went into the wee hours of the morning, where he just talked, and it was just him talking about random shit. He's incredible. You're so lucky that you got to see that. I love Warren Ellis. Uh, that's why I was, I didn't realize we were confusing Warren Ellis with Garth Ennis on Farrow's Crossed. And I was excited for a second because I was like, oh, this is like a Warren Ellis series that I haven't read and I need to check this up. And now you just you just took that away from me. I did. No, the Crossed is where I, I just like, I don't, it's a horror book and it's just, I don't understand it. Basically, that's me saying, yeah, but there's like a lot of horror movies out there where I'm like, I don't understand the appeal of this at all. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, you know, I didn't, I think you, you are more of a horror person than sometimes you give yourself credit to because you go to the screenings and you and I have talked horror before and you've read horror novels. I have. Yeah, so I don't I think. Mean, uh, I mean, I've read some Stephen King things. I haven't like, you know, again, it's, I, I. Stephen have, King's I, the king of horror. I know. This is the thing is, but I, I have a vivid, like I said, I have a vivid imagination, and that shit scares me. So I, I try to avoid that stuff. I'm not one of those people. If I'm flipping through iTunes, going like, "Oh, look, there's a horror movie I haven't seen. I'm gonna watch this right now." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> like, you'll get me in the theater to watch it for for a press screening, or you know, if there's some big event, you know, where a movie came out. Like, I remember we all like went and saw Saw the first time it came out. Like, I had a whole group that's like, "Oh man, this movie looks awesome. We all gotta go." And I was like, "Fuck, I really don't want to go, but I'll go." I'll go. <laughs> well, did I sell you on Lock and Key? I've been sold. I've only heard amazing things about Lock and Key, and I've been sold on Lock and Key. I just need to just bite the bullet and, and get the series and, and read it. That's what I need to do. Uh, and they they have like they have master editions out there. Like I said, there's the six trades, but they have like, you know, three hardcover master collections. And it's still going. Like the main story is done, but Hill and Rodriguez just do like one shots now. I think there's like what there's a couple of them have been collected into a trade already and there's still more one shots coming out. They're kind of like older stories because the keys have been around since like 1775. So they're doing all these one shots throughout history, just showing the, the keys, the main story is done, but lock and key ain't dead. And, and as I was looking into this, I realized two things. One, they tried to make a lock and key TV show. They actually filmed a pilot for Fox that was never aired and Fox passed on. So there's like this unaired pilot somewhere that uh, I couldn't track down, even though I'd love to see it. And I was really bummed out that I'm like, oh, this never got made. 
But then I was so excited because I discovered that Hulu is currently developing a new lock and key show that is being spearheaded by Andy Muschietti, the guy that just made it. That just has my name all over it. Yeah, I would. I knew that. I knew that the the TV show was in the works, and it. And I think it even got good reviews. Like people that saw it at the time were like, they don't understand why Fox yeah. didn't continue with it. Like it was, people were all. It was aired at a con, and the con reaction was really strong. But I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Uh, it was a long time ago, man. It was like before comic book properties were. You know, it was 2011, like or, or whenever it was. Man. I, I'm I'm upset I wasn't at New York Comic Con because they they debuted the first episode of Runaways at yes. New York Comic Con. <sighs> I'm excited for that. Ser- I'm excited for that series. That's gonna be good. That's one of my favorite. Hey, would you consider Runaways a horror? Like it's one of those like Twilight Zone episodes where it's like you wake up one day and you find out your parents are villains. No, <laughs> uh, I, I I just call that a superhero. I think it's a superhero story. I mean, if you're going to just, I mean, horror is so broad. You probably could. Like like we were talking about before we started recording, like horror is such a broad spectrum of things that however, you, whatever scares you really influences what you define as horror. So it could be. It, it would scare the hell out of me if I woke up one day and found out that my parents were in some shady, you know, organization and they were bad guys. And Brian K. Vaughn is a really good writer. Like I can see him writing horror. He's like literally one of the best writers. <laughs> okay, settle down, settle down. Because he's, he, no. he he gets shot down a little bit. Cause I think wasn't he involved with Lost? He was. I've never watched Lost. Yeah, you should just hang up the phone right now and <laughs> cancel this podcast. Um, uh, but it's not a TV podcast. I get that. I get that. Uh, but you do lose lose nerd cred for not watching Lost. And I re- I remember like when I was a kid reading comic books. I'm trying to think of how old was I in 1991. I would have been like 15 years old at that point in time. So that was like a primo time for me reading comic books. That 14, 15, 13, you know that area. This is where I like read The Killing Joke, and that just broke me as a child. Like that's you know when they talk about losing your innocence, like yeah, that is my point right there. Where I was like, <laughs> fuck, fuck, um, and then it's funny because I was like doing research and uh, they're saying that Todd McFarlane's run on Spider-Man, that 15 issue run, is everything that's wrong. What was everything that was wrong with 90s comics? And as a kid, I I loved them. And there was a, a two-issue story arc where it was Spider-Man and Ghost Rider taking on the Hobgoblin. And the Hobgoblin was demonic at that point in time. Yeah. And the Hobgoblin scars this little boy's face to make him look like the Hobgoblin, as well, like half of it. And with Todd McFarlane's art, like it is like some of the scariest stuff ever and then like with ghost rider wanting that spirits of you know the spirits of vengeance and all that stuff going on i just remember reading those two issues and just being like on the edge and it was like unlike any other spider-man book i read before and i just remember like with all the demons and all that stuff i was like this is 
This is scary. Yeah, I think you could have horror elements in books that you wouldn't necessarily call horror. Like, you could you definitely have horror elements in a Spider-Man book like that, de- dealing with characters like the Hobgoblin. There's some villains that very much lend themselves to to horror. So, whereas Spider-Man is not a horror book, yeah, I think there's abs- probably definitely absolutely issues like that that constitute horror. And you can see, like, now looking back, like, this was before Spawn was announced, but I'm almost positive Todd McFarlane had Spawn in the background going on while he was writing this stuff. And, you know, the story... Just getting ready to walk out of Marvel. Yeah, getting ready to walk out of Marvel. And the, and the story arc before was Wolverine and Spider-Man teamed up, and there was a whole bunch of, like, dead kids in the woods, and everybody was blaming Windigo. And I just remember those being, like, super tense and dark and scary and be, me reading a book and you know and that it's that evolution where you kind of change as a kid you're like oh spider-man everything's gonna be roses and butterflies and the world is perfect and the heroes are white and villains are you know here and 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 then it just starts getting grayed and i was like oh and it's it's weird it's just weird how you like evolve as a comic book reader from like a from a child to like an an adult reader and you those books sometimes when you're at that like point just stick in your brain a lot more than you know stuff i read last week no it's your brain was much more malleable back then in 1991 hey do you know how old i was in 1991 i i, I, I don't even want to know no you don't you don't i was negative one. Oh, i wasn't even born yet well you missed the you missed the first, like, breaking point in comic books. It probably wasn't the first. I'm sure there was stuff when they, like, started releasing comic books. And then, like, yeah, when Marvel came along were... in the 60s. I'm trying to think of There's probably a few breaking points along the way. But that was that was a pinnacle time. That know, was your nine... breaking point. Yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah, sure. Fine. Well, that's actually a good segue. Because as long as we're talking about the big two, Marvel, DC, and horror, I'm going to talk about... Now, again, one of, one of my other favorite horror series, and honestly, one of my favorite comics of all time, and that's Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing. One of the greatest comics series ever written, as far as I'm concerned, as far as a lot of people are concerned. Like, this is just, oh, it's so good. Please tell me you've read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Again, I'm a superhero guy. And okay. A- and Alan Moore, like, broke me with the killing joke. And people were like, oh, you need to read more of his stuff. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Once you, like, shoot Barbara Gordon in the belly and then you rape her, I'm like, you know, Alan, I'm I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, it's it's just it's so beautifully written and it's so poignant. And there's just it, it, it's it's beautiful and kind of maybe and kind of gothic in a way. But and, and it's smart and it's and it's one of the books that kind of put comics on the map for adults over children in the 80s. And, you know, kind of spawned Vertigo a few years later over at DC. But it, it's such a good horror book. And the art by Stephen Bissett, I don't know if it's Stephen or Stefan or Bissett, though, is, uh, is so intense. And there's just there's so many characters that pop up throughout, like, Etrigan the Demon and just other DC characters. There are some superheroes that pop in here and there's some DC mainstays that you'd recognize, Superman, Batman, and, and the like. But it's intense. And more than just being an intense horror book, it's deep and philosophical as hell, man. Like it just it makes you question everything about what it means to be human. Because I mean, I mean, well, it's kind of in the '80s, so it's not much of a spoiler. Because like this is the run where 
he, Swamp Thing discovers that instead of being a man turned into a plant, he's a plant that thinks he's human. Like he always thought that he was like a man that kind of got chemical splashed on him and, you know, he evolved into the Swamp Thing. In Alan Moore's run, he changed it so that he was never a man. He was plants that kind of absorbed the memories of a human. So like, he's like, what am I like? Just because I have the memories of this person, like, am I a person? And it's just, it, it's, it's so deep. And it's actually fitting to have this conversation with, you know, with Blade Runner in theaters right now and all the Blade Runner talk going on and just very similar themes as far as um, humanity's concerned. And, and, and again, it goes, it goes right along. It does all of this deep, incredible storytelling while kind of uh, freaking you out. With some really shocking imagery and some really gory stuff. And like I said, this is what gave birth to the Vertigo boom, where we got a ton of horror books like Sandman and Hellblazer. John Constantine Hellblazer again, introduced in Swamp Thing. In, in, uh, and it's kind of started it all. I only remember the shitty 80s movies for Swamp Thing. Not so bad, actually. I, I watched that first Wes Craven Swamp Thing. It was a lot I mean, it wasn't like, you know, a masterpiece, but it was a lot better than I expected it to be. No, they were on HBO all the time, and I used to watch them all the time. Because it had the Locklear in it, the first one, or the third one, or I think it's the third one. I've only seen the first one. I think there might be only two of them. But yeah, yeah, I think it was the third one. There's, it's just weird. It's just weird, crazy. But I that's the... that's I can't believe that's the comic book movie that got made. Like, I'm so confused. And dumbfounded that that was was made in the eighties. I mean, you got that. You got Howard the Duck. There were some really questionable choices around that time. I yeah, I don't get it. Well, you know, Superman was so popular. Why didn't they like? Why didn't people do other superheroes? But instead, they like make Swamp Thing and Howard the Duck after that, with some like big names attached to it too. Like I said, Wes Craven, one of the horror masters of the time period, gave him Swamp Thing. Howard the Duck, famously produced by George Lucas, <laughs> like. Howard the Duck is an amazing film, by the way, just so everybody knows. I love that film. I will defend that till my dying breath. Like it's just send, so uh, send your tweets to uh, Matthew Sardo. <laughs> it's so out there, but it's like as like a kid, I just remember that being like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" Duck universe, like it's like I don't know. It was just bizarro. But I uh, so what we're what we're learning this episode is that you uh, really, really hold a torch in your heart for properties that you grew up with that pretty much everyone else has written off by this time. Yes. Yes, totally. That's um, fair. I think we all do that. And this was pre Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven, too. It was. So it wasn't like, you know, the Wes Craven that he would become later. But, you know, thanks for poking a hole in my arguments. They still gave it a $3 million budget. Insane. Comic book movies. I, I want to talk about... I want to lump two comic books, two horror comics together, but I'm going to focus on one over the other. And uh, I'm talking about our, our boy Donny Cates, who, who's been on the show. Go back, listen to his interview. Uh, he's got two amazing horror books out right now. He's got Baby Teeth at Aftershock and Redneck at Image. Now, we've talked about Baby Teeth before. Go back. Listen to our Donna Cates interview. Go back, listen to the episode where we review Baby Teeth. It's an awesome story about a girl, a teenager, 16 years old, gets knocked up, gives birth to the Antichrist. Uh, there's there's heart, there's laughs, there's scares, there are demon raccoons. It's a great series. But Redneck, I don't really think we've talked about outside of our interview with Donnie. And uh, it, it, it's 
really one of the best series Image is doing right now. They just ended their first arc, so the first trade should be coming out very soon, and you can just pick it up. Got two words for you, Matthew. Vampire Cowboys. Yeah, I like vampires. I'm, I'm a big fan of vampires. I like it. What you we like do cowboys? in the chat. Uh, wow, do I want cowboys and vampires? I don't know. That's a tough one. Well, they're not, vampire, they're not vampires and cowboys. They're vampire cowboys. Yeah, that's why you're a vampire and a cowboy. Like it's, You can put an and between it. But I just want to make sure that we're being clear that it's not like a vampires versus cowboys book. Oh, that'd be so meta. How is that meta? I don't know. I was like, <laughs> I just started, I'm really hungover, guys. I went and saw Chris Tucker and D.L. Hughley last night, and there was an open bar. It was free booze. So yeah. when I, I, I just, I start drifting. I was like, yeah. I'm supposed to be running the horror show right now, and I keep putting it back on poor hungover Matt. <laughs> Maybe that's intentional for calling me pasty last week. I don't know. Anyway. No, but you can see it. You can see it with um, that that's a good element, vampires and cowboys or cowboy vampires. Like, you know, because yeah. there's, like, there's a lot of open fields, and you can see, like, you know, things, you know, just being in openness, like open field when it's dark is scary. Like, there's... You can make that element super scary. Yeah, just to clarify, everyone, it's not like it's not a John Wayne movie with vampires. Like they're, they're vampires living in Texas in the open plains, and you know there's horses and stuff. But you know they're and they're southern, obviously, and they got you know the draws and the cowboy hats and stuff like that. So that's what I mean when I say vampire cowboys. But you got this family. There's been vampires, you know, their family in that they've kind of they've made each other into vampires. So. Uh, they're not all blood related. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Some of them are just, you know, quote unquote, made from another one. And they've kind of evolved past the vampires that we know of. They're not trying to kill everyone and suck blood and whatnot. They they get their blood and nourishment from other sources, which uh, causes a little bit of hostility between some of the younger and some of the older members of this family who are kind of disagreeing over the way things have been got done, which, uh, you know, kind of propels the plot forward they have figured out to uh, make a business out of like selling cattle like they have like a bar and like you know a, a bar and grill or whatever in 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 the local town and they got you know humans who kind of run back and forth and do their business for them and they profit off it and whatnot and, and then there's like this rival is a rival faction from the local church that's been kind of at odds with the vampires for centuries and it's it's so good it's it's gory. Again, it's gritty. The art is by Lissandro Estherin with D. Cuniff. I hope I get those names pronounced correctly. Uh, and it's 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 kind of what we were talking about earlier with you know some horror books having an edgier, grittier feel to it. This is that kind of book, and, and it works really well in the world of redneck. So if if you haven't been checking this book out, highly recommend it. And I'm pretty sure a hurricane just opened up over the house that I'm recording in right now. <laughs> and you have a tin roof. And we have and there's a metal roof at my girlfriend's house. So uh I might get blown away. So it's been it's been a good ride, guys though. Appreciate you sticking around for the time being. As um, soon as you bring up vampire cowboys, my brain immediately goes to from dusk till dawn and has that vibe there. Like that's where I, my brain goes immediately. Yeah, I would watch the fuck out of like a Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez helmed redneck adaptation. We should make that happen. Oh yeah, let me hold on. Let me get let me get Quentin on the line over here. So I'm a speed dial. 
I don't feel like you need to have more trust in your power of persuasion. I trust my power of persuasion. I persuaded you into uh, hiring me. I persuaded you into a podcast. I persuaded you into letting me talk about Halloween books for a whole episode. Oh, man. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I'm just I'm sitting there just, fa- you know, fascinated about like, OK, what are the different things that scares me like different places? And it's every place. Like every place I go can be scary at one point or time or another. There is no place that is not scary in my brain. And we, one of our beat reporters, Roger Adell, he interviewed Todd McFarlane uh, at New York Comic Con, and that podcast should be out by the time you listen to this. Like that interview should be out on Monkeys Fighting Robots by the time you listen to this episode. And Todd talks about what makes things scary and creepy. And he says it's that it's just having one thing off. In your reality. Like it's just that one little element being off. You know like you're driving down the road with your girlfriend and you know car breaks down. And you're like oh I got to go up to this house on the hill to get somebody to help me out. And the you know that one thing is could there be a psychopath in that house. So it's keeping you grounded in the world. So when you're experiencing the film you're pretty grounded like oh all this stuff is pretty real and pretty pretty right on so it could be something that could happen and then that one thing off is the psycho killer and so it's a balance of keeping you as grounded as possible and then just frightening the shit out of you yeah i think the core of a lot of horror is is, is what if kind of like you just said like what if there's like a psycho killer in that house or whatever right I think a lot of great horror just kind of central. It comes stems from a good what if question. Like I know that's how Stephen King comes up with a lot of his stories. He said in interviews is just he he notices something ordinary, and then just kind of says what if one thing was like kind of off a little bit, like you said. And um, I'm sure he's not the only writer creator who who deals that way. Uh, I think that's a lot of good fiction. I feel like it's just like a lot of good comics and a lot of good fiction in general is just kind of taking. Something familiar, and we've talked about this before, and just skewing it ever so slightly one way or the other. And one of the things that I like thoroughly enjoy is like the Twilight Zone kind of feel to horror where things just kind of get flipped. And I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead, and I wouldn't consider that like. A horror book because it's just more of the setting that there's zombies it is. there. That's horror. I would. That's definitely horror. I don't know. I kind of put that more like a post-apocalyptic realm now. Like, but that deals with horror. Like post-apocalyptic is horror. Mad Max is not a horror film. There's no zombies in Mad Max. You're talking zombie post-apocalyptic horror. I mean, shit can still jump out and scare you. I get that. I guess it's still horror. Fine. Fine. Again, and again, this Fine. is a this is a conversation that we could talk about for hours as far as like what defines horror because it's so broad. And I'm not gonna we won't. Don't worry. But but with Kirkman's style of writing, he kind of like themes his chapters. You know his his story arcs where you know the most recent one was just kind of like an all out war. So it was like a military film. But an earlier an earlier series. Uh, arc in it had one where 
I was reading it and I was like, I'm not sure what's going on in this because like the heroes in the story are kind of off just a little bit. And that was the Twilight Zone episode where like Rick and his group were actually the villains of the story as they took over, you know, this one territory. You know, everything was fine. Everything was good, you know, but they're always so suspicious and so worried because they've been through so much shit at that point in time that their nervousness and, and distrust backfires and they become the villains. Was it? Because I don't read The Walking Dead, but I, mean, I read the first few trades. But was um was it like a Twilight Zone, like kind of a an other timeline kind of story or was it just it was an incontinuity story just told from an outside perspective where they played themselves as the villains uh it was incontinuity and you were still from the perspective of rick and his his gang oh so it's so so just it's just a normal walking dead comic but just again like you said it's a little bit off you get to that yeah you get to that cliffhanger and where like where rick realizes or somebody else in the group realizes like shit you know, we're the bad guys in this. We're ruining everything. And I was like, wow, this is just really, really good. And it was just well written and it had a good punchline. And, you know, that's why this, that's why it's like the most popular independent comic book out there. And TV show. Yeah, it is pretty popular on TV as well. A little bit. Guys, we, uh, we put it out there on social media. We wanted to know, like, what your favorite horror comics were. I wanted to talk about them on the air and stuff like that. And and if you're not following us on Twitter and Facebook, be sure to do so because we'll do this from time to time. We'll put questions out there and then we'll we'll read your answers on the air. We'll get you involved. We we, we like I said we love feedback. We love communicating with you guys. So and we got a couple of uh of, of names thrown out there. There's so again, there's so many horror comics out there, but I mean there's there's Clean Room from Vertigo, Witches is a comic that uh, is really popular at Image, the second volume is coming back right now. Um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, our writer Manny Gomez loves that book. We talked about that on a whole separate episode of the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. A couple of these books were also recommended by Brandon Griffin. Should give uh, credit where credit's due on some of these suggestions. But those, those, oh man, those Archie Afterlife books, those Archie Horror books are just, they're growing, man. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina has a show coming out now. Yeah, and it'll be the second incantation of Sabrina on the small screen. Good Second for or you. third? I thought, wasn't there a cartoon or something? Uh, there probably was a good... You ruined my good for you. Damn it. So mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is great. Afterlife with Archie is also amazing. I wish the release schedule was more clear with that and they were actually coming out with books again. But I know the writer, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, is incredibly busy between... Sabrina and now two different Archie shows, uh, but but that series is great. And then we got a new one coming, Jughead: The Hunger. It was a one shot written by Frank Thierry that was so popular that they greenlit it for a series. And that is a, a, a werewolf book. That is Jughead, the glutton of Riverdale, if he were a werewolf. And uh, all the Riverdale folks are there, and uh, some of them have a little, little bit also mysterious past. Like some of them may or may not be werewolf hunters who have. Uh, come to Riverdale undercover just to hunt Jughead. And I'm not going to tell you who I'm talking about. But go and get go and get that one shot. If you can get your hands on Jughead, the hunger, the one shot, go pick it up and uh, and read the the ongoing series when it starts later this month, I believe. 
and we'll have a review of that up on the site as well. Uh, really, really been looking forward to that one. And if you guys out there, if you personally, you sir, that I hear breathing while I'm recording this, if you like horror comic books and you want to recommend some for me to read, uh, definitely send us a comment on the podcast on Monkeys Fight Robots or or tweet at us or Facebook message us through the Facebook Monkeys Fighting Robots page. God, I really can't talk today. I really need to stop drinking. Uh, but no, guys. He's just been drinking straight through last night. Just straight through last night. But no, seriously, like I'm always looking for recommendations. And now that I'm at Uncanny Heroes on a regular basis at the comic book store doing these live feeds for New Comic Book Day, um, I would love to kind of talk about that kind of stuff at the show, at the at the comic book shop. Because uh, I'm always looking for content when you're live because it's it's live and you you know you need to fill it up with content and if you had good recommendations i'd love to give you a shout out on the air yeah guys i mean there's so many comics out there there's, there's no way to keep up with all of them even for for guys like us that that write about them and you know we we have partnerships with some of these companies where we, you know we're lucky enough to get some review copies but there's just there's so much stuff out there that's hard to keep up with can't obviously read everything so if there is a book that you're really loving, please do exactly what Matt just said. Cause I, I want to know as well, because there's, there's been plenty of good books that have slipped under my radar as well that I'm just, I'm very thankful that uh, I got friends and people on Twitter that have kind of uh, directed me one way or the other. Let's talk Royal city. Let's go back to Royal city. Oh, you want to go yeah. back? You want to go back to Royal city? I want to take a drive back to Royal city. We, uh, we talked about issue five, when uh, when it came out, it was the end of the last arc, and now the new arc is starting, and I want to talk about it because it's a gr- it's actually a really good jumping on point for new readers because again it's uh, it's jumping time periods. We're jumping back to the nineties. This is this is your time period, man. This is this is teenagers in the nineties. Like this is this is right up your alley. Yeah, and it's kind of scary as well too. It does. It's it's pretty well themed because you got some weird mystical stuff going on in Royal City, and there's some. Uh, now we're going to try to get the background on it. And and uh, learn a little bit more about what the hell was going on in those first five issues. But more than anything else, this book like hit me right in the feels, man. Like this book has some really uh, heavy subject matter, and it deals with you know depression and anxiety. I think in a really good way. Does the kid have a tumor? No, I think he just has headaches. That I think are they seem to be like spawned on by just like anxiety and depression and stuff like that. He gets migraines and stuff like that. I don't think it's a tumor though. Yeah. But then he has these like great visions and isn't that what like kind of like tum- brain tumors do like give you, I mean, I'm a doctor. What can I say? I mean, like I just thought like there's a, there's a fantastical element to it, but I was like, is it going to be based on a tumor kind of thing? Or cause I mean, spoiler, we know this guy, this is the kid that's dead, right? He's dead, but he drowns. If I remember correctly, oh, he drowns. Yeah, if I remember, if, if I remember correctly, that's what I believe. Uh, but I just took the headaches as headaches, especially because if you read in the back of the book, Jeff Lemire talking about it, he just he kind of says that Tommy's headaches were influenced by uh, Jeff Lemire himself having headaches when he was around that age. And I don't believe Jeff Lemire had a brain tumor, but yeah, but it doesn't, it, he didn't say like, oh, this is a verbatim of what happened to me as a kid. Like, I mean, like he could he could still have a brain tumor because it's not written yet. No, again, like we were saying earlier, great fiction is based in what ifs. So he could have said, what if I did have a brain tumor and had visions and drowned? But and the then visions came back are as a spooky so ghost. well 
done. The artwork is just sublime on this stuff. Oh, Jeff Lemire is just top of his game. I saw he just posted a bunch of original artwork on uh, online for sale, and I was so tempted to just drop way too much of my own money to uh, to get a piece of that because it's and it would be worth it if I was going to get anyone's original art, it'd probably be his just because it's so beautiful with the watercolors. It just it blends so well with this subject matter. This kind of uh, I don't want to say morose, but just like this kind of heavy. It's kind of sad, but kind of like you know, beautiful in a in a weird way. Story, the the watercolors just kind of like bleed together really nicely. Now this episode, this issue reminded me of Thirteen Reasons. Is it Thirteen Reasons Why I Killed Myself, the Netflix series? Yeah, Thirteen Reasons Why. Like I, that was the, what I got from this right here. I was like, oh man, I know this kid's gonna die. And like these are all the elements, and I was like, "Don't go to the party, because you'll probably die at the party." And like everything leading up to, it, I was like, "I was like, damn it, mom, stop cheating on your husband!" Like I was just yelling at the comic book the whole time, because the first five issues you learn all this stuff, and then it's a flashback. And I just I was yelling at the comic the whole time. Yeah, and on the one hand, I love that it's a flashback, and we're getting to see the backstory on this. But the other hand, I'm just like, God damn, this whole arc is going to be a flashback, and. I want to know what's happening with the dad waking up from his coma and stuff back in the present day. But uh, I, I really think this is going to be a, a powerful arc from what just what I've read from Jeff Lemire himself. He's putting a lot of personal experience, a lot of personal, I'll say, pain and feeling into it. Because, again, he was a teenager in the 90s. So he's really putting a lot of that into this arc in particular. So I think this is going to be a standout uh, run the next few issues before I guess we return back to the present day. So I'm really looking forward to see where this goes. Again, music playing a huge role in this series, especially with Tommy listing his his favorite bands as a kind of a coping mechanism, his favorite albums as a coping mechanism, all of which being, you know, the, the bands and the albums that Lemire himself was listening to in that time period. Uh, it's, and it's actually turned me onto some music that I wasn't aware of to begin with uh, myself. It's so good. And I always forget, that this is comes with a soundtrack as well at the end. I get to the last page, I was like, damn it, I need to like listen to this stuff while it's on. Yeah, and anybody that has a whole song on their comic book is pretty amazing. Matt, which uh, which one of these which one of these kids were you in the nineties? Oh man. I was I moved around a lot, so I was always just changing i was just the outsider kid it's like oh look here's here's that kid i just never fit in anywhere so hence why i read a shit ton of comic books when i was a kid yeah i kind of i kind of picture you as the uh as the brother who turns out to be a writer the one that kind of just like sits by himself and he's like reading on his lunch break and stuff like that not because like you'd be like sitting by yourself on your lunch break or whatever reading a book but just like because like you're you're a reader and you kind you know and you you kind of get you know i mean you look at the other siblings like like Richie, who's kind of like the scale and the 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 scumbag a little bit over there. Like you're you're not you're not you're not a scumbag. Thank, I would never say thank that you, to sir. you. I appreciate that. You're no, welcome. I, so like <laughs> kind of uh you know, so by default you're the other one. <laughs> yeah, by default. Uh yeah, because I'm not the dead kid. Um yeah, it's a Where weird, are you? I know. Shit. This podcast that might just be in my head because I have headaches. Damn it. I don't really know what's going on. You, you're so hungover. 
I love again. I wish we should be recording the Skype video and just like uploading this as like bonus content somewhere so people can see what's what's going on when we record. Yeah, no, it's uh, but this book was perfect for being hungover. Like it's so the colors and the, the palettes and the watercolors are easing, very easy to like for on my eyes. They didn't hurt my eyes. Um, and then just it being kind of this monotone, kind of heavy self-referential kind of book that's going on like it's it was so good to read i enjoyed reading it so much you're welcome but then it's sad and i'm like damn it but when you're hungover that's kind of what has sadness is like too so it's fine i think it's just a good uh, it's a good book to read whether you're, whether you're drunk or sober or hungover, it's just Royal City is just one of the best books on the shelves right now uh i'm glad that there wasn't like too long of a hiatus between arcs because uh, I think I think that's one of like the biggest killers of indie series, is that there's they, sometimes that this the release schedule is way too off and it just kills the momentum. And uh, I, I would hate to see that happen with a book like this. Yeah, because you got to go back and reread. And because when you handed me the book, and I was like, did we miss an episode, or did we not? And I look back, and I was like, oh no, it's it's just been that long. Yeah, but, you know. But then you have other books. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to call out because I really enjoy them. I don't want to put them down or anything like that. But just like just some books where just the release schedule is so long in between issues. And then, like you said, like, it's like, oh, I got to like go back and reread a whole, you know, arc or something to, just to remind myself. And don't always have the time to do that. And then you just kind of feel lost. And, um, you know, the, the, some of the best series, I feel like, can, can get killed by that. But, but not Jeff Lemire. Jeff Lemire keeps it going. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm getting back into just picking up issues and just reading them from where they are now. Uh, you know, with Marvel Legacy going on now, like, I picked up an Iron Fist book, and I was like, ah, just read it from this point in time, and it's a decent jumping-on point. Most of yeah. the Legacy books are now. Um, right now right now is probably like one of the best times to just be jumping back into Marvel Comics. So I'm excited to just kind of pick up issues and just, just if, if it's good, I'll go back and grab some more. If it's not, you know, it is what it is, but I, I, I do enjoy just picking up the random issue now and not worrying about that numbering system. Cause some, that's some people do, they worry about it and they're like, Oh man, it's on issue 21 or issue seven. And I'm just like, no, just pick it up, dude. Cause it's good. And you know, people are just like, no, I got to start from the beginning. And I get that you're weird, but just pick up the book wherever it is and start. Yeah. If it's a good comic and good writing, uh, you, you should be able to catch on pretty quickly. How many monkeys did you give this baby? 4.75 out of 5 monkeys. I gave it 4.25 robots. It's really good, mm-hmm. but like it's there was no like twist or anything. Like it's just I'm I'm still like oh, okay, I need to read more, but like I don't think it gave me a super good cliffhanger at the end. Okay. Good for you. You're getting better at that. But no, it kind of the book kind of just ends like where he's just stuck in one place doing the thing. It doesn't, you know, like where the where the previous book, you're like, oh, my God, like we I need to read the next book. But like you knew it ended at like you knew it ended. So you're like, uh, kind of thing like you were talking about, like, I want to go back and find out what happened to dad waking up for the coma, like all that stuff. Like you're you're kind of like want to jump into that where this one kind of like he's in the room and he's like talking to himself and he's just suffering. But it just kind of ends. And you're like, uh. You know, there were 
there's no continuation from that. Like it's like an end scene in a play, so it kind of self-contains. I guess I don't know. That's what yeah. It felt it felt like a nice like kind of just like moment. Like I, I could see like a TV episode ending kind of on that moment. Right, and that yeah, but like it doesn't make me be like, oh my god, I need to read the next issue right now. And that's that's where I give you the higher scores. Okay. Good that, for you. Good for that's, you. Where, that's where I should have done the okay good for you. Damn it. <laughs> oh, man. See, I, I jumped the gun. I, I jumped the... Oh, man. I'll get it. I'll get it one of these days, Matt. I, I will. Hi, man. You got a, a full seven days to prepare for this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train like Rocky. Just like in the mirror. Just like... Okay, good for you. Okay, good for you. Ah, the the comedy moments and how to put them together. Or not put them together. Womp womp. All right, sir, have a good weekend. You too. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host, Anthony, is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. You were dead! I liked it that way! There are so many people that made the 16th episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Go check out Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. And special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. If you're listening to this podcast in your car at night, be sure to check your back seats to make sure no one's there. Dude, that was fucking creepy. Can you just never do that again? (laughs) Nerd Roast Coffee Company. Nerdroast.com. Use promo code MONKEYS15 and get 15% off your order. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey's Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkey's Fighting Robots. <laughs> <laughs>